All right, so welcome back to another episode of the Gyms Group podcast, which is called the Gyms Cast, and I'm here with Jim, and we're on a Monday morning in uh, sunny Melbourne today after a weekend of hail on the farm, didn't you, Jim? Just tell me before off camera that you had a bit of hail up on there. You got hail on a few times, and yeah, I go out when it's not raining too much and do some farm work, and then if it gets really downpour, it starts to hail again inside and sit in front of my nice, um, nice stove, freestanding. Mm. What do you call it? Wood stove. Let's talk about now about Jim's audiobook. So if anyone who's watched any content with Jim or listened to anything, everyone will know that Jim loves his books and obviously now it's audiobooks. Mm. And Jim obviously does this when he's doing the treadmill or doing some vigorous exercise or doing his gardening. He obviously has an audiobook on Driving in the car. Driving in the car. As long as my kids aren't there, if I'm with my kids, yep. I talk to them. But if otherwise, I've got my talking books on. So he's always a consuming audiobooks, and he's obviously got a lot of great recommendations, which we're going to share with you today. And we have actually put this list on the Jim's.net website. But as Jim said, this is only the last couple of months. So Jim gets through a heap. So maybe at the end of the year, we're going to have to get his Jim's picks for 2019 as his favorite audiobooks. And we'll put them out to people. Yes, but whether they're useful for anybody else, my tastes are very strange. Well, let's give me the list here. The list in front of you. The taste is, it's, well, some of it's like, some of it's I've actually heard of. And there's a couple, there's actually one I recommended to Jim and he's got it in here, which is great. But there's some stuff which people will be able to know and, and recognize. But the other ones you might have to educate us a bit on, I reckon. So let's just talk firstly about maybe how many roughly audio books do you listen to a week or in a, in a, in a month? I'll probably listen to about one to two per week. One to two per week. Yes. And are they sort of the average length, sort of one, like eight hours, or are they a bit longer? Or? Yeah, yeah, eight to ten hours. Is, so it's not like Churchill, the last line was, was huge. Yep. That's a wonderful book. But So that took me a while to get through. Mm. Well, when I say get through, it was, it was, it was a pleasure. I'll probably, I'm sure I'll listen to it again sometime. I've often listened to books twice, actually. Sometimes, really? sometimes twice or three times over, yes. Wow. Okay. So let's get into this list here, which is on Jim's.net on the website. We did put it on the Facebook as well. I was trying to pick the favourite ones, but there's so many, it's hard that's, to... That's true. Well, I'll show the camera here now. So I've got that up in front of me. And um, I said to Jim, can you just mark next to maybe three or four? And he's marked next to one, two, three, four, five, six of his favourite ones, which we can talk about today. Maybe he can tell us a little bit about them. So the first one you've got marked there is called One Second After and sequels by William R. Is it Forsham? Yeah. And it's based, and you put here a realistic and frightening account of the aftermath of an EMP, which is electromagnetic pulse, mm. uh, which knocks out power and computers and most transports. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about that series. Well, I, I, I do like, I'm very interested in, in disaster type stories about how you cope with it. I mean, this is the farm too, learning to be a farmer and to grow your own food and, and so forth is, is part of my preparation. But um, our civilization is, is frighteningly vulnerable. This is a story about a, a small town in, in, in Virginia, which is affected by it. And actually, it's, it's one town that actually survives fairly well, but it gives a very vivid description of what happens and the different people that die for different reasons. Like the, um, he's got a daughter who dies from, who's a um, diabetic, juvenile onset diabetes, and, and, and just the, the horror of trying to keep her alive mm. and, and, and as the insulin stocks run out and all the rest of it, and, and then the different kinds of diseases and then the violence that takes place with marauders and, and, and starvation, and, and just, it's, it's so plausible that our civilization is so interconnected and it's getting worse every year mm. as, as more and more as more and more electronics and stuff go into vehicles and they're less able to drive. I mean, EMP would, would drop out. All, any modern car would be knocked out by an EMP. The old ones will still work because they haven't got electronics in them. And, and then you look at it and you think, okay, well, well what, what would I do in this situation? How would I keep my family safe and the people that I'm close to? And, and so I, I, just, I just like hearing that. It's very frightening, but it's also very motivating 
So do you actually envision yourself in that situation? And you're, that's why you like it. You're constantly thinking about what would I do if that scenario was presented mm, to me? I always do, yeah. So how do you think you would go with your farm? Obviously, you've got a farm set up. Well, how do you think you would go currently? Well, obviously, a lot better than most because I, I am used to growing my own food. And I often think about it. Like in my vegetable patch, there's actually, in potato patch, there's actually a lot of silver beet, which I've left there, which is from the previous owner. And that's just flourishing. So you'd immediately got sources of that. Mm-hmm. Lee knows how to use wild greens and stuff too. She could actually look at things and see what could be what could be used. And, and uh, I'd like to be off the grid entirely if I can one of these days. Okay. So, so, that's, a, so that's one of the first ones here, which is great. And obviously that can be downloaded and put links underneath here where you can get these books. And I think, I think everybody ought to have, be ready for a, a, a disaster. Everybody ought to have a year's supply of food on, on that. Really? Region. Yeah. Okay. Everybody should. I mean, the difference between... But the point of it is it, it probably won't happen. You know, the 99 chances out of 100, maybe 909 out of 1,000, you won't get this thing happening. But as I say to people, you know, you probably won't have your house burned down. But does that mean you don't insure it against fire? Mm. Now, what are you insuring against? You're insuring against a financial risk. If something goes wrong with our civilization, there's so many things that could, like an electromagnetic pulse, like a genetically engineered plague, like any sort of disruption to trade and so forth, which is very likely limited nuclear war, anything could happen that could completely disrupt our way of life. Now, the point of it is what you're talking about is survival for yourself and your family. So if you're prepared to invest this much in surviving a fire to your house, which is a financial problem, why wouldn't you invest even less in doing something like storing a bit of food? I mean, just putting a bit of rice or wheat away or these kind of things and, and, and living off that. It's, the cost is trivial because you're just, you're just buying a little bit in advance. And yet if the one in a thousand chance happens, that the disaster strikes, you're going to be alive and your family's going to be alive. Mm. And, and, and how much more important is that? Have you seen the show Doomsday, Doomsday Preppers at All by Chance on Seven? No. I'm going to send it to you because it's exactly about this. So they follow people in America and they're all, they call them doomsday preppers in America. And they've gone to extreme lengths to uh, prepare for the worst. And I'll send you a couple of links. But look, even basic things like a year's supply of food. If, if, if we had something like an EMP, probably something like 80% of the population would be dead within a year. But if everybody had a year's supply of food, you might lose 10%. That's the difference. And the difference is trivial. It's just a case of moving your consumption a little bit earlier. I say to everybody, prepare. And, and why don't you grow your own vegetables and just dig up some of your backyard? What's the use of lawn anyway? Partly keep Jim's mowing busy. <laughs> but you <laughs> can get really the Jim's well. guys to actually yeah. to prune your fruit trees and so forth. Exactly and, right. They do, yeah. They do a lot of pruning and they do a lot of fruit trees. And how nice that. to have your own stuff and then to yeah. learn and be outside and getting physical exercise and getting healthy by doing things that can actually have a real beneficial effect and learning something about what the way our ancestors lived. Well, how would that apply to inner city people then? Obviously, I live in the inner city. So let's say people live in an apartment, for example. What, what could they do then? What's your excuse? You live in, you work in Murabak. I do work in Murabak, but Just, I live in the inner. Yeah, well, get yourself yeah. a place that's a bit further out <laughs> and you can have a bit of a yard. You can grow a lot of food on a, on a quarter acre. Oh, I wouldn't be, I'd be pathetic in the garden, I reckon. I might need your help with that one. Nah, yeah, you, you might be pathetic to start with, but you'll <laughs> certainly learn. And let me tell you, the point about, we're talking about mood before, about exercise. Yeah. Um, mood is not just a matter of, of exercise, it's also a matter of where you exercise. If you're exercising outside, sunlight itself, fresh air, even the smells of the, of the, mm. the plants 
has that effect on you, which is one reason why gardeners are amongst the happiest people of all the professions. Think like number one, yeah, number one, them in florists. Florists, quite, yeah, florists it's is the all. natural world. So you yeah. see, it's not just the benefit of, of, of security, it's the benefit of fitness and it's the benefit to your mood. Mm. And I tell you what, when I spend a couple of days on my farm just working outside, and the more time I spend outside, the better I feel. And it's just great feeling of calm and peace. So it's, it's, a, it's a win, 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 everything. It's a, it's a, it's a great thing to do. Now, not everybody can have a, a farm. To, but everybody, most people could have a block if they wish to, including you. No, that's true. But, um, it's quite funny. And you would find that you would really get into it. I believe that. It's just <laughs> so much fun. We'll have to check back in a couple of years and see if I do take that up. Okay, so that's the first one. And the next one here you've got marked is Your Future Self Will Thank You by Drew, is it Dyke or, or Dick? Christian-orientated book on self-discipline, which I found inspiring and helpful, which I note on that one. Yeah, I just I just loved it. It, it. it inspired me. I mean, it's from a Christian point of view, so it spoke to me very clearly. There's a lot of books around about self-discipline. I just thought that one was very practical, very inspiring, very helpful. It just talks about getting habits established, that it's difficult. You can't rely on willpower to do everything. Right. But the way the mind works is that if you start doing a thing and you push yourself and you push yourself and you push yourself to do it and it becomes easier and easier, it becomes a habit and it's less and less and less effort. It's like my running or eating sort of quasi-vegetarian food, those kind of things. It just gets easier and easier the longer you do it until it becomes hardly any effort at all. And then you can work on something else like, you know, maybe you know getting more sleep or getting yeah. up early or something, whatever it happens to be. So you just work on one thing at a time and, and it shows how you can establish habits. It's, as I said, it's, it's, it's a practical and it's very inspiring. I don't know how it would go to a non-Christian audience, but I think it's one of the best books I've read on that particular subject. And, and when I got it, actually, that was, that was when I read that book, I was actually just on the cusp of hitting 68 kilos. And I've, I've, lost, um, I've lost two and a half kilos since then. So it had a big impact. Really? So you, you, so you attribute that weight loss to the book? Yeah. Well, what changes did you make then based on the book? I just... I just determined to to eat more carefully. That's all, mainly. I mean, I mean, I mean, I've always had exercise. But I just, just, you know, just stopped. You know, we've got a big problem in the office here, as you know, and it's just not far from your desk. Mm-hmm. They always put chocolates and yes. biscuits and stuff there, yeah. and I find that really, really hard because I love chocolate. Yeah. And so you just got to walk past it and not, and not, and not, not take any. I know. I've watched you multiple times walk past it, and then you come back and you. Take I do take something. Yes. yes. I, I, but the fruit's I, been a great initiative. I love the fruit personally because I don't touch it either. I'll, I'll try and watch what I eat, but um, the fruit's been great. But so the fruit is, fruit is good. Fruit is great because if you want to have a snack, the thing of it is, first of all, at home, I don't have biscuits and stuff very much around, but there's a massive fruit there. So if you want to come out and you're feeling a bit peckish, you just have some blueberries or an apple or something like that. that that's it's it's setting up that setting up make life to make it easier mm. you can't rely on on willpower if you have chocolates and cakes and stuff lying around the whole time i think we should ban it i think we should ban all chocolates and cakes from the office i just have the fruit i sort of have a go at people who bring that stuff in i said come on bev yeah but then you take it and then you run off <laughs> but i gotta stop it and then i tell the girls hey look, i'm just taking this to so save you all yeah, exactly temptation. Right. You're, yeah you're being you're being very altruistic about oh it, yeah right? just just removing moving these, these chocolates and stuff but the fruit is good and that's the same reason at home you know when i was when i was a kid actually one of my greatest dreams of wealth was to have a basket of fresh fruit that you could have whatever you wanted well we've got that coming in there every monday from jim's home fresh so there you go there's the dream fulfilled jim's home fresh yes that's, that's a that's a great company you get get involved with them and, and get your get your deliveries that's it. on a weekly basis and then and then be healthy that's it All and right. happy better te- well what's better testimony than actually jim himself getting the fruit in for this national staff from jim's home fresh so definitely yeah, we buy up. two big boxes every monday and they come and distribute them they the go staff. pretty quick i know because i'm always taking apples i'm always taking bananas and mandarins so 
they're the ones that I love. Okay, so we got here, the next one is Zealot by Reza Aslan, putting Jesus into historical perspective by a non-Christian. Yeah. I've listened to this one three times, so it must be pretty good. He's, he's, yes. I know Reza Aslan a little bit about it. I was talking off camera before. I'm not a big fan because he doesn't, him and another guy that I really like have a bit of issues, but... Well, yeah, he, he's he's a Muslim, right? Uh, and he was actually a Christian at one stage, and he's he's now a Muslim. Um, so I suppose, in in a sense, there's a, there's a certain commonality of worldview that at least it, having a, a sense of God's. But um, the great thing I like about it is that he does take the history and puts Jesus into. He actually uses the Synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and and and, and sort of analyzes them in terms of what puts them in in perspective in terms of who Jesus was in, at the time. What people thought of him, and actual fact, he's really much more like a a populist uh, insurgent than people would think. This whole message of, of he did talk about the, the blessed the peacemakers and stuff, but he was also somebody who was very very critical of the of the priestly hierarchy and 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 the wealthy people at the time. It, it's a very populist message, and he's like a he's like a. It's quite revolutionary. Like a good example is the is the Good Samaritan, the story. Now, now that is a story about helping people, and we take it to mean that. Of, of course, it is a story about how it's good to help people, and that's what Jesus said: go and do likewise. But the real hard part of the story was the actual fact, the fact that it was the priest and the Levite who were the kind of the peak religious people at Jesus' time, who were the bad guys, and Samaritan, who was like a scumbag of the, of the Jewish world, was the good guy. And so, even though it was it was a talk about um, it was a talk about um, kindness to others and looking after others, it's had a massive impact on the world. It was also a very much of an attack on religious hypocrisy and, and on elitism. And Jesus was very much a man of the ordinary people, of the poor. And it's that it's that populist, radical side of him that I really appreciated. You also see the letter of James, which is one of my favourite books in in the Bible which is very similar because James was Jesus' brother and, and he talks in very similar terms. And so when Jesus said things like it's easier for a rich man to enter a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, that's very meaningful to me because it talks about the dangers of wealth. So it's that, it's that radical populist side of Jesus that I really, I really like so much. And, and Jesus was very revolutionary in a way that people could hardly comprehend. There was another book I, I read just recently, which was named Shakespeare, talking about how Christian values were completely overturned, the whole thinking of the ancient world, which was very elitist. Like, um, there's one wonderful story he tells about the Emperor Julian. And the um, Emperor Julian was complaining about how the, the priests of Sibylle, which was a sort of a god there, were doing themselves so much harm because they weren't any longer looking after the poor, but they were just indulging in all these ceremonies and fine eating and stuff. And he said, well, one of the problems was is that, um, that Julian got it. Julian was, Julian was a, this is after Christianity was established as the religion of the empire. Julian was the, called the apostate because he turned against, the, he tried to bring back paganism. Um, so he was complaining about the priests of Sibylle not looking after the poor, but what he hadn't recognised is that they never had. And there was, in fact, no religious movement in the ancient world apart from Judaism and then obviously Christianity that actually did look after poor people. It was so elitist. I mean, they, they, they used to enjoy having people tortured to death in amphitheatres. And it's that populist concern for the poor aspect that, that I think um, Reza Aslan brought out really, really well. 
And, yeah. and it appeals to me very much. And, and I'm very, very aware of that aspect because as somebody who's obviously quite successful, it's all the dangers that Jesus talked about were the, were the dangers that I could be faced with, the danger that people can flatter you, the danger of luxury, the danger that you can spoil your kids, all the bad things that can come out of wealth. And you definitely put that in perspective. Obviously, we've done pod, podcasts and we've talked before and you say you obviously give a, you do a tithing and obviously about your kids, you're quite open about just saying, no, I don't you don't spoil your kids at all. So you definitely put this stuff in practice. And I guess that was just obviously interesting to you as a subject and obviously reaffirming some of those beliefs and some of those things you actually live by as well. No, I really I really love Jesus when I look at that. He just he just comes across as incredibly human and, and inspiring. And that's, that's what Aslan says too. I mean, he, he talks about it from a non-Christian perspective and not as a believer. Is that what you found the most interesting thing though? Was that was from a non-Christian that's sort of what got you to buy in a bit more? Does that does that make it more interesting to you then, or more credible yeah, to you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Christian stuff has a certain kind of view about it, but but he, he tends to treat Jesus more as as a human. Mm. Um, and actually, as he says too, Jesus comes across through the Gospels. If you really understand the history, as an incredibly admirable character, he really does. And so much of study we says. We just take for granted, we talk about humanism, but humanism is Christian values, and it was these peculiar values and this teaching that he had has been so revolutionary. And understanding him as a man is, is, is wonderful, even, even though having a, a non-Christian, a Muslim say it is was, was a bit strange, but it's different from what you get in church. Okay, cool. So let's get into the next one. And that one we'll put on the uh, on the we'll put a list of these books under there if anyone's just sort of trying to write them down. We'll don't worry, we'll put them on there. The next one here is something that I'll probably might my alley is Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman, which is an excellent autobiography by a great scientist. So uh, Richard Feynman obviously was a quantum 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 uh, mechanics, all that sort of stuff. And I love I like Richard Feynman. The reason the reason how I found him before actually reading this list was I listen to a lot of Neil deGrasse Tyson and Lawrence Krauss, who are cosmologists and very famous astrophysicists, and they always refer to Mr. Feynman and obviously how much humour as well he mm. had about talking about that stuff. So maybe tell us a bit more about that, what you found with the autobiography. It's, it's, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful biography. I mean, you, you look at this guy and you think, oh my goodness, he's so far above anything I could do. He was like repairing radios and stuff when he was just a kid. Mm. He was... And it's it's and he had this sense of fun of life. He he learned Portuguese so he could go and talk in Portugal. He 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 learned how to be a quite a significantly good painter. He, he learned to play these drum things. He just he just had this incredible zest for life and, and this this interest in doing so many things. And uh, <laughs> it's just very inspiring. There's, there's a wonderful story that talks about Feynman at a time when he was he was in a complete dead end. His, everything seemed sterile. He was getting nowhere in academically in his thoughts and his stuff. And he, he just went into this university cafeteria and he was watching somebody who was twirling a plate. And he looked at the plate and he was wondering, why does it waggle like that? And so he started a line of inquiry, which eventually got him the Nobel Prize. Mm. And it was, it was just that, it was just his curiosity, his, his love of the world, his love of thinking. He was, he was a, you know, a mixed character. He was a womanizer and all the rest of it too, as, as Einstein was, of course, too. So, you know, I'm not saying he was a saint of some kind, but it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful, inspiring, entertaining book. You've got a lot of really quotable quotes, actually. You know, if yeah. you type in Richard Feynman and see quotes on Google, there'll obviously be a lot of quotes from him. And he's, I think he's how the father of um, modern quantum mechanics as well. So obviously a very, very smart man. Okay, the next one here we've got is Everybody Lies what we can learn from Google. And you've just got one word here next to it, fascinating. 
So maybe tell us a bit about that one. <laughs> Actually, that was such a, that's such an extraordinary book that one time I was driving to the airport listening to that and I got so absorbed in the book I missed the turn off and missed my flight. <laughs> really? <laughs> I had to... <laughs> <laughs> I was due to give a talk, so I had to frantically ring ahead and say, could you put my book on that time? That's, yeah. how, that's, how, that's how bad it is. Oh, it's, it's, it's just looking at the... Um, there's so many stories for that. There's just absolutely fascinating. I've listened to it twice already, and I'm sure I'll listen to it again, looking at, at, at elements of um, why people support sporting teams. And as far as I can remember, it, it's for, for, for men, it's, it's the t- team that was winning when you were about 8 or 10 years old. For women, it's the team that was winning when you were um, like 18 years old. So it reflects the interests and mm-hmm. then obviously relationships mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It's just, it just uses these stats in, in really fascinating ways to come across all this stuff you would not, you would not imagine you could figure out just from looking at, at, at Google and the way that it, and all these different searches. I'll have to get that one. Actually, I didn't know that one too, too much about it, but I'm going to have to download that one because that sounds very interesting. The next one we've got here is Grinding Out by Ray Kroc, and people who listen and absorb some of your content will know you're a massive fan, obviously, the uh, the McDonald's founder, and obviously there was a movie called The Found- oh, Founder or The Founder mm. about it. So maybe you want to talk about, a bit more about your your love of Ray Kroc and uh, the McDonald's story. Yeah, look, I've read a fair bit about McDonald's. The only book I've read about franchising before I launched the Jim's franchise was Behind the Arches by Love, which is, which is a great account too. And, and love it's very it's just a bit more because it's an autobiography it's a bit more personal mm. I love when I talk about business I like I much rather read the story about what somebody did particularly in their own words rather than other people talking about what somebody else did to me that's that's far more I'd like I'm a very concrete thinker I want to know what a person did and just the way he thought about the whole thing and the kind of frustrations he had getting it going and the kind of passion that drove him he was a mentally passionate man he just had this this quality service cleanliness thing that was just part of his his DNA, not not literally, of course, mm. but part of his character and just how he achieved it and, and what it meant and stuff. And he wasn't, yeah, he, I, I mean, obviously he's far more successful and wealthier than I ever will be, but that, that, that love of what he did, that just in, enjoyment of it and the fascination of the, the growth story and, 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 the, and, the, and the fundamental principles behind it. He, he just looked after franchisees very well. His first franchisees were millionaires before he ever made a... A, a dollar out of out of McDonald's. Mm. He just wanted to create something great. He wanted to he wanted to provide something in a way that nobody else could. What do you think of the? Did you see the movie at all? Yeah. What do you think of the movie? No, it's good. It's good. I know. I, I they, they sort of made him a bit of a um, ruthless character, which I suppose he was. But McDonald brothers were the, the way he he um, he diddled them out of their their money in a sense. He didn't really diddle them out of it. Mm. But but you know the basic story how he did it. He actually had a he had this stream of royalties coming in, and the McDonald brothers whom he got the idea from and, and and leased the rights to. They were getting a percentage, but they were stopping him doing all kinds of really obvious things. They just wouldn't let him do this stuff, which was so important. But what he actually did was he started either buying or sub or taking head leases on the properties behind the McDonalds, and that actually made a lot more money than was coming through in the royalties. And with that financial strength behind us, he could then put pressure on them. So, in a sense, it was a fairly ruthless thing to do. But, you know, I mean, if that had a Well, he had that unstoppable vision, didn't he? He had an unstoppable vision which of what he wanted to do, and this was the, that was yeah. unfortunate, that it was the roadblock in the way, and he sort of worked out a way to get around it to make sure his vision came to fruition. He did. But, you know, he, he made them a lot of money too, and if, he, if they'd been had a half grain of sense, they could have made billions of dollars out of the, the deal they made with him. They were just unreasonable, so, you know... 
He's a he's a he's a tough character, mm. but I I admire him. I, I really do, and I find him very inspiring. And, and I, as I said, I still admire McDonald's. I think it carries some of the same spirit today. Yeah, that's true. And the next one here is we've got Gun Germs and Steel, an excellent book about why civilizations develop where they do. Fantastic book, one of the best I've listened to it several times. So based on this list, this is the one you've listened to the most. So what do you like about this one the most? Well, that's because I've about? listened to it. Well, actually, yes. Um, it it talks about why civilizations rise in certain parts of the world. It talks about why the Middle East, for example, was such a great area because you had all these animals that were suited to domestication and he goes through all these sorts of reasons why certain animals can be domesticated, why certain plants are more suited to domestication, um, why certain environment helps farming and so forth. So he looks at the effect of the environment um, and just traces the, the way civilization rises in different parts back to this. But it's, it's kind of beautifully written too because he, he, he's caught, he's, Jared Diamond's lived in a lot of different places and he often talks about his, his New Guinea friends, and which I think is quite genuine about how they see things and how they can understand about how the, how the Europeans have all the, the cargo, all this, this wealth and stuff. Mm. And, and just, I can't really describe it very well, except that it's one of Pulitzer Prize, and it doesn't surprise me one little bit. It's beautifully, beautifully written, entertaining, and it's one of the most deeply meaningful understandings about how civilization arose and where it arose and why it arose mm. and, and so forth. Just a fascinating book. So there we go. So there's a little brief overview of the list that we put out on uh, gyms.net about what Jim actually listens to. And as this list will obviously always change because Jim obviously listens to a lot of content. This is from the last couple of months when Jim gave the list. So we might we might do something at the end of the year where Jim picks his best favourite five books or something, recommendations. We'll give that as a recommendation to everyone because it's quite well known now that CEOs and very high-powered executives are avid readers or consumers of audiobook content. So um, And Jim's no different, as you can see, one to two books a week. And even, you know, he's listened to books which have made him miss a flight. So um, he's obviously an avid listener. So if you've got any um, suggestions for Jim, maybe, or you want to share with us what actually audiobooks you're listening to inspired you, before we go, I'll give you one that I recommend. I've actually given to Jim, and I hope he does listen to it. It's called Can't Break Me by David Goggins. I think it's one of the best stories and the best life advice books you will ever, ever listen to. And it's not a life advice book per se. It's a story, but what you can get out of that will change your life. And... I'm taking stuff out of that I'm actually implementing. You recommended crushing it too. And crushing only, it, And yes. then the only time you understood that I'd read it is when I came back and started telling you all the stuff we should do. That's very, very, well, that's very, very true. I did say to Jim you should read this a couple of times, and Jim's coming and saying, I've been listening to crushing it. And then no, start. no, I didn't actually say that. What I did is I came into you and said, okay, now we should do this and this and this and this, and you said you've listened to crushing it, haven't you? Well, that's, that's exactly That's how right. it happened. That's more like that. Because yeah, exactly you, right. you figured it out. That's true. Yeah, that's how I figured it out. So I've given Jim one, which is Can't Break Me by David Goggins. I hope Jim does listen. I think a lot of the stuff that David Goggins says, Jim actually probably does, but I'm actually buying an exercise bike, Jim, and putting it in my living room based on this book because I want to improve my cardio because my cardio is something that I always avoid, so I'm like, I want to go to things I don't avoid. All right, so uh, make sure you subscribe to the iTunes podcast, the Jim's Cast on iTunes, Spotify, and other places, obviously on Jim's.net as well, and YouTube. And if you've got any suggestions or comments or questions for Jim, you can DM the page or social media at jims.net. Obviously, there's Ask Jim as well, the Ask Jim box on the website where you can ask Jim a question, and we'll get to it.